Welcome to The Eventful Entrepreneur. I'm Roger Woodall, founder of the Bournemouth Sevens, the world's largest sport and music festival. With all events in 2020 grinding to a halt, I'll be bringing people back together, but in a different way. On this week's episode, I'm talking to a proper events man and a champion of our industry, Nick Morgan. Nick and I had similar start in events 20 years ago for student parties in the nightclub scene across the UK. He is now CEO of one of the largest festival production companies in the UK, delivering festivals and events to over 1 million people a year. Here he is, the CEO of the fair, Mr. Nick Morgan. Hey Nick, great to have you on the show, buddy. Hiya, good to be here. Well, let's, well, we'll get straight into it. Where did it all start for you uh, getting into the events industry? Uh, it started, uh, yeah, I went up to Birmingham to uni up there and then started promoting nights down in London. I was really into quite a niche sector, so I was into like US House. Started promoting that up in Birmingham and then started doing loads of sort of student nights uh, off the back of being at uni. Uh, yeah, and just loved being... You know, in those days, sort of clubs were like palaces. So going yeah. to like the Dome in Birmingham was yeah, amazing. Yeah. Uh, you the know, Dome, I remember the Dome in Birmingham. That was yeah. massive. Was it that was, like 2,000 plus capacity? Yeah, I think. It? You know, just like their laser shows and stuff. Yeah. Obviously, you wouldn't get that nowadays. But And then at weekends, you used to drive, you know, to places like the Ritzy, Ritzy and Dagenham. Good old, good old Ritzy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I used to, you know, love that. And then it sort of started from that. Um, Fantastic. So what year was that then? Year 2000? It was a bit earlier than that, probably like 96, 97. Okay. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, got it a bit more, uh, yeah, a bit more professionalised in sort of 1990, when we set up a business. Yeah. And then started working like unis and, yeah, we did like four nights a week up there. Yeah. And we're doing, yeah, 10,000 people a week, um, you know, which was a lot of hard graft. You know, back then there was, there was no digital. Yeah. Um, you know, you were still doing text to phone. Yeah flyering hitting all the halls you know trying to yeah get in the halls mm. and stuff so and how many universities were up there in birmingham is it two or three universities up yeah there? there's three is there which is birmingham uh, uce Aston. and uce okay yeah, so and you were you were putting on nights as you were still a student putting on club nights and how did that actually work back then were you going to the club and asking to take the door money or, or how did it work yeah i mean they were big sort of operators like first leisure you know based up in leicester so they you know in those days they were big old conglomerates and then they would approach us in the end you know because we had a reputation for it but yeah i suppose the difficulty there was you know you'd got none of the sort of bar revenue it was all about the door but obviously you don't have any other sort of costs associated yeah, 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 all, all yeah. the marketing came to us so so when did you get your first buzz what was a big buzz for you when you first got into the events world uh I think one of the first shows we did, at, uh, it was called the Q Club, which I don't know if that's still around, uh, but we did uh, work with a guy called Jeff Ellis up in Leeds and did a, a 70s show called Love Bug. And I think that day, uh, you know, you could just get a general gist that it was going to be busy. And like the club were kept telling us, yeah, there'll be enough bar staff and stuff like that. But the, you know, the euphoric moment of selling out, having like 3,000 people in there was, you know, it was amazing. We were like, this is brilliant. You know, but then the bars all went uh, sideways because there weren't enough staff. Yeah. So, you know, all that effort sort of unraveled pretty quick because obviously people were mm. pissed off. So, but yeah, that that was it. And then I think from there, just getting, yeah, more and more shows, trying to, you know, promote more and more was was what, you know, what we loved. Mm. Um, and what, what did you learn from that when you're obviously you're bringing people to the nightclub? And seeing that queue going all the way down the street is obviously, for me, is one of the best buzzes I ever get, and I still get now to this day. But what did you learn from the experience that the nightclub didn't have enough bar staff then? Could ruin your reputation? Yeah, I mean, it hammered us. You know, it's really hard to pull that show back on. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, being more involved in the operations, you know, learning from that, sitting down with the club. Because in those days, there was a bit of a, you know, it was a very divided so there was a sort of operation side of the club, which you could never interfere with because, you know, they believed they knew what they were doing. And then there was a the promotion side and we sat, you know, on either side of the fence. And I think, you know, we sort of galvanised more and more. So work with the club, you know, we would quiz them saying, mm. you know, if we're going to deliver whatever 3,000 people, what are you doing in terms of the operation? Yeah, you know, yeah. and you start. And then we got into like ratio models, you know, thinking, you know, for every sort of 500 people, how many bar staff do you need? Yeah. And then you could, you know, you could quiz them. But I think prior to that, it was a much more sort of dictatorial environment where they just said, oh, you just bring the people, 
you know, tough. What happens in the club is down to yeah, us. So yeah. security had no say on that. Yeah. Whereas we got more involved in, you know, all of it, like the whole customer journey. Yeah. For, you know, want better. But that, that that takes you to to obviously it's a massive learning curve because it's about the customer experience and being a promoter. Obviously, you're taking the door money. You don't know how many. Uh, security are going to be on that day you don't know yeah. how many bar staff are going to be on that day you want to make sure the club's clean but that's out of your hands yeah 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 so they're like you know you've delivered the audience and then they're effectively delivering the experience to that audience mm. apart from like maybe the talent side mm. you know and you're reliant on a third party mm. uh so yeah that that's sort of changed and then we we had a we did a load of work on trying to win uh sort of new business and we ended up uh, taking over Coventry Union which was the planet so they were the first. I remember that one. Yeah. So it yeah. was like, you know, it was people like Danny Rampley. And That's right. Uh, Carl Cox were residents up there, but that was, you know, prior to us taking it on. And the uni, it was the first uh, student union, I think, that had an off-campus club, mm. you know, and it was two and a half thousand capacity. Some people were running it prior to us whose experience was not from clubs. Mm. So they ran it as a ground practically. And then we got the call to come and, you know, so we did everything, operate it. I was the sort of booker on it. Mm. Um yeah, and that, you know, in two years they managed to sell it because we did turn it around. I yeah. mean, it was, it was pretty bad prior. Were you, uh, still, were you still a student nightclub promoter while taking that, taking that Coventry University deal on? Uh, yeah, I mean, to be fair, by then I was sort of over the uni thing. Mm. So I only did two years. Mm. And then, you know, I was just working all the time and I didn't, didn't really see the value in some of the sort of theory that was being thrown at us. Mm. And it was event management, uh, but again... I, th I thought it was really archaic compared to what we were doing, you know, mm. in our everyday life. So mm. there's a massive myth out there that you need an event management degree to get into the events industry. Yeah, I would say you don't, mm. uh, and you don't need the debt either. But um, no. 50, so, fifty grand a debt. Yeah, you don't. You don't need that. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think it is a bit archaic, and you know, people are quite excited about you know unis and putting people through that uni. And I think I think that has changed, doesn't it? I mean, I think since now people have to pay for it, and almost those students are clients of the uni you mm. know which is a different thing whereas mm. when i was there you know i was very fortunate i got subsidized and you know it was more of a party mm. do you know what i mean same. it wasn't really about the learning same same yeah. same loughborough university was just a bit one big party <laughs> yeah. do you know what i mean sport and partying and that's what that's what we did but it's interesting back then there was the fees were minimal but now they're nine thousand pounds a year yeah, crazy you know it's crazy and um i think things are changing though. i think that i think the students are becoming more savvy i think the parents are becoming more savvy I think the parents aren't pushing the kids as much into university because they know what sort of debt they're going to be leaving in. But just going back, just going back to your journey then. So you went into the uh, the nightclub world, and what was your journey from from there onwards? Then did you get into buying any clubs or buying any bars? Or yeah, any? we bought some bars. So we set up a bar called Poppy Red in Birmingham. Uh, what was that called Poppy Red? Poppy Red, yeah. yeah which was uh, a colour of an aerosol off the Gorillaz album. Yeah. Uh, so we did that and sort of built it ourselves, which was a nightmare. I wish I'd never started that. Mm. Uh, because, yeah, we were short on funds, so did that. And then ended up selling that a couple of years later at its peak and then bought some pubs. Uh, there was a guy called Adam Regan up there. Uh, uh, this, but these were all in parallel. So at the time, I was really interested in... It was festivals. You know, we were lucky at Cov Uni, basically. We got a call... Uh, they were looking for the old booker, a guy called Ian Cogden, and uh, it was Steve Foster from McKenzie Group who owned the academy, and they were rolling out Brixton Academy up to, up and down the country, and somehow we managed to blag him for a meeting. Um, <laughs> as you do. As you do. There's a lot of that in this history. Uh, and then got a meeting with him, and then through that ended up working with them, sort of launching the academy. So did Birmingham, and then started supporting them on their national rollout. Mm. And then just through that, by chance, I uh, had a meeting with uh, Bob Angus, who's uh, Metropolis. And then he gave us all the regional sort of press for uh, V Festival. Mm. So for us, that was a real big break. And, you know, getting into a show of that size yeah. was, you know, was... What, V Festival in Essex? No, we did Western. So that was the northern yeah. one up okay. in Stafford. Um, so so what, year, what year are we talking here? Yeah, that was uh, probably 99, 2000. Yeah. Um, and, and that, you know, it was small. We were just doing a regional press. And then I think from the back of that, I started to, yeah, we started to help and support on more shows. We worked at a place like Custer Factory, you know, more credible Custer talent. Custer Factory? What, what, what city is that in? That's in Birmingham. That's in yes, Birmingham. there's loads well, in Birmingham. Okay, so that was your main area yeah. of, okay. So set up an agency there. I mean, I'm from London and then what desperately wanted to go back and yeah. only moved back in sort of 2012. Um, so up to that point, we were peddling more and more, um, yeah, more and more shows. Just trying to hustle, you know, getting 
promoting it's really hard isn't it as a first show to say to someone you know you're going to trust us to deliver it yeah. i think a big break on that is we did some uni balls so yeah. out in fields so yeah. you know the you learn you're learning your trade there learning my trade yeah. yeah i mean yeah clueless yeah i mean me and robbie still works for me yeah day one of trying to deliver uh conference uni ball yeah you know we were sat in a room scratching our heads yeah. going you know how do we do this yeah. i know we need a big marquee yeah uh we're gonna have to get some talent yeah what else do you do yeah and in those days you know the minutiae detail you go into now but like you know egress and you you know you hear people talk about ingress and all of that yeah everything sits out i mean you just open the doors and let people go yeah. you know you didn't get into the, the amount of planning we do now yeah. is it's another But that's level. the difference from going into the nightclub world into the festival world. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we were probably a bit naive, you know, but it really excited us. You know, we wanted to do those big shows, you know, and you're building little mini towns, aren't you? I mean, in those days, it was only like for 1,500, 2,000 yeah. people, but yeah. still a level of responsibility. But uh, it's the same business model. Yeah. I mean, obviously, as they get bigger, there's more responsibility yeah. and yeah, all yeah. that. But um, yeah, so we sort of grew from there and then somehow got into doing sort of more high risk events. I was involved with like Radio One and Drum and Bass Awards and obviously that at the time Where was that held? They were sort of national, so it was like a tour. So yeah, that was where we got into the sort of health and safety side, I guess. So supporting on shows, looking at high risk models, you know, demographic of audience, how that would have So the promoter of those festivals or shows would hire you guys to look after the health and safety to take the stress away from them. Yeah, and and liaise with uh, something called SAG, State Advisory Group, you know, writing the paperwork. Because, you know, the police in those days uh, were a lot more nervous about doing those type of shows. You know, mm. they thought it'd bring, you know, disorder. When the reality it wasn't, you know what I mean? It was, if it was well managed. Mm. Uh, so yeah, through that got more and more and then uh, started working on, you know, lots of sort of diverse shows, so not all high risk. Um, and we're still involved in, you know, what, I, I hate the word high risk, but you know what sometimes the police may refer to as yeah. that. And what's a, what's a high risk show? Well, it would be in their eyes high risk, but like things like garage, you know, garage, drum and bass, grime yeah. shows. In the major cities like Birmingham or London yeah, or, or Leicester. Yeah, or, or provinces, you know, yeah. like we did a lot of stuff in Croydon uh, for Box Park, you know, all over. Uh, and grime, you know, gets a bad reputation, doesn't it? Un unfairly, I believe. Mm. Uh, so getting involved in that, um, so when did it really when did it really take off for you? Obviously, you're the CEO of uh, We Are the Fair. When did that really take off? What year? Uh, I think the bit another you know it is about who you meet, isn't it? And that network. I mean, a big break for me was uh, I worked with this uh, promoter who um, didn't pay us, but then through name? that, what's his name? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll call him out on so, here. Yeah, Go on. Yeah, still owes me money. Um, definitely tell me his name then. Uh, but then. <laughs> Through that, I met a guy called Dave Mack, uh, who was uh, at Mama, and then basically what the Mama Group? Yeah, so is he the was he the owner of that? No, he? he was a festival director. Okay, of all those shows, and then through that, we uh, ended up through this sort of random promoter jointly. Uh, he was doing the production, we were doing the health and safety on a car park show, just in a uh, tiny thing. Two, I think it was like two, three thousand people. And then what well, I didn't know at the time, he was advancing Global Gathering. And then through that, he uh, where was where's Global Gathering held? Uh, Stratford upon Avon, okay. like in a massively disused air airfield. Oh wow! And what's uh, the capacity for that? Roughly, that was like forty-five thousand. Is that right? Yeah, so it was a big old show. And that when did what year did that start? Uh, roughly, uh, God, yeah, probably end of yeah towards. I think 2010, something like okay. that. Maybe what's, a bit earlier than that, actually. Mm, what's interesting is we're talking about going into this whole festival world, is that actually festivals, apart from your big ones, your Isle of Wights and your Glastos and what have you, it's a very uh, embryonic world we're in right now in terms of what year they really all started. And, this, and they've really expanded massively over the last 15 years, 15, 20 years. It's really grown enormously across the world. Oh, it's blown up. I mm. mean, you know... I think it's just, yeah, I think maybe the demise of nightclubs, you know, and people now, uh, you know, maybe go out once, twice, three times a year, you know, and they put all their energy and fun into that one weekend, you know, yeah. and they choose those shows. I mean, I think at the last count, there's there over like 1,500 shows, you wow. know, whereas... Yeah, back in 1999, God, I 15. Well, yeah, at least, yeah. you know, yeah. or, oh, sorry, at tops. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, it has it has grown and people want to go out. And why, why do you think the festival world has grown so much? Because 
I know a lot of festival runners and they all were in the nightclub game pretty much or in the music game or something. Do you think the way the nightclub world went from sort of 2008 really made people go, oh, I want to flip into the festival world because it's a cooler world or there's more risk there, it's the next step um, in someone who loves events and the events industry? Yeah, I mean, I think for promoters, one of the biggest attractions is controlling all your revenue stream. Yeah. You know, so you've got all the F&B, you know, food and beverage. Yeah, so food and beverage and like merch, you know, all the traders. Merchandise. Yeah. So you got all of the <laughs> <laughs> So you got all of that revenue, but yeah. obviously with that is born a lot of costs. Yes. You know what I mean? There is a myth yeah. that, you know, and we get it still to this day, people ring us like, Oh, I want to put on a show. Yeah, well, how much is it gonna cost? You know, I'm sort of budgeting 10, 15 grand. I'm yeah. like, Jesus Christ, no, I won't no. even pay for your fencing. Yeah. So um I've been there. <laughs> so so I think it's it's that it's uh, yeah I think that was the the sort of stark uh, reality was people could then control all of that you know they built their own club almost yeah. but out in the field and you know an audience were really like buying into it they yeah. really wanted it uh, is it because it's more at a festival it's more escapism yeah and I think you know there's different uh, yeah different aspects to all shows you know there are people that want to go and party really hard. Mm. You know, and yeah, it's liberation, isn't it? When you go to those gates, you know you're there for four or five days or three days if yeah. you're camping or an urban show, obviously, the day. Yeah. Um, and I think people do, you know, they're with the mates. Uh, it's, it's a different experience to like clubs. Like you say, you're on a restricted hour, so mm. people would hammer it as hard knowing two o'clock curfew's coming, mm. it's game over. Whereas with this, if you want to, you can party, you know, for 48 yeah. hours straight. Um, that's, or, that's hard work that is, that is hard work. <laughs> or there's like people who aren't into that you know what I mean they just want to go for they f they seek out their own little thing yeah. nothing to do with like the headline talent you yeah. know they'll go off to I don't know so, some little mini stage that yeah. no one really knows about you know and they're just into the the atmosphere that I think there's this big sense of tribalism there people want to come together that social interaction mm. uh, sense of community yeah, laughter like, fun, yeah exactly just dancing. that you know what I mean like in every just and the removal of everyday stress. Do you yeah. know what I mean? You can forget about, you know, whether whatever job you're doing, you know, mm. people live in this stressful world and don't want to keep, you know, every day, like, like Groundhog Day, getting up, doing the same thing again. And that is their release. Yeah. You know, and, and there is that liberation. They can do whatever they want, basically. I was, I, was, I was chatting to some students the other day and it was interesting. I was telling the story about when we were promoting, obviously 20 years ago in the nightclubs, everyone would go out at six o'clock, start drinking, at 10.30, they would leave the bars and come straight to the nightclub. And yeah, all of a sudden, yeah. this that the new generation don't even know that. They're, no. they're coming out at midnight and going to, straight to a club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing, wasn't it? Pubs all shutting and everyone would... Yeah, that's why clubs... I mean, they, they were the feeders to the clubs. Yeah. And obviously that all went, you know, and that licensing change came. So so I think, you know, that that's, that's why the festivals became even more so... You know, and, and people staying and not necessarily always going on holiday and stuff, staying in the UK and making a massive thing of it. Mm. Um, How many festivals do you reckon you've worked on? Um, uh, yeah, quite a lot. I mean, yeah, we've got about 128 that we work on at the moment wow. in different capacities. But wow. over the years, yeah, a lot in all different genres, you know, and, and, and love it. The fact that we do work, you know, we're fortunate enough to work in all these different areas. Mm. Um, name, name, name some festivals that spring to mind that's really stick out in your mind of a good boutique festival. Uh, I mean, boutique, you know, we work on things like uh, El Dorado, which is old, the old Big Chill site. You know, that's an amazing show and that's really grown. Where's the know? Big Chill? Uh, over at East Norcastle. Was it? You know, was that. Where's that in the country? Uh, so sort of uh, Herefordshire way. Okay. Um, was the Big Chill, the Big Chill end up f folding? Yeah. And then what's the name of this one? Uh, El Dorado. Okay. And so, that's been going, what, a couple of years, a few years? Uh, I think four years now. Okay. So, and every year, you know, the audience has grown. And then we, you know, we had different capacities. We work on things like Gotward, which is up in Anglesey and Wales. Lo lots of those sort of boutique shows up to bigger you know, urban shows. We do quite a lot of those day shows in London. Uh, things like Eastern Electrics. Where's Eastern Electrics? Uh, it's at Morden. Uh, Morden Park. Oh, I know. Yeah, so okay. right at the end of the Northern Line. Yeah, I know. Uh, so that's, you know, that's a big show. And uh, you When know, you say a big show, how many how many people are you looking at at a capacity for a day show like that? Uh, like 20, 25,000. Is that right? In, yeah. in, in central London? Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, mm. it is in central London, yeah. Mm. Um, and we're involved in lots of those sort of things, like Kish Tree is one of the big brands we work with. Um, 
which yeah is moving um where were they where did they have their festival so that was in streatham yeah so that was like what, streatham common yeah okay common. they're moving to where uh well, yeah we can't quite say yet but okay um but yeah that's so that that's somewhere a, in london so definitely somewhere okay. in london uh so yeah they're the sort of day shows we do um and a day show just to break it down is it just a day show it starts at 10 in the morning and finishes at one well, curfews in London are a bit stricter, so they yeah, are, like, generally like half, ten, eleven if you're, wow. you're pushing it. You know? And it's just literally one day, they won't double well, up. Well, we do do Sunday double or... up, yeah. So either like history, we do two days of history. Um, normally we will try and double up because the production's obviously sort of halved apart from like the lave, like security and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, most of the shows we do are two days, mm. you know, but they are, yeah, maybe a different audience. There's some cross-pollination from like Saturday to Sunday but generally it's a new audience each day mm. so and because they sell so hard that you know they'll do a second day mm. um, and there's a there's a lot of that and then there's there's camping shows we do which are sort of four or five days yeah example things like the Eldorados the, you know the Gotwards we were involved in Houghton um, yeah lo loads of you missed a real special one and obviously Bournemouth <laughs> Sevens as well um <laughs> Which, you know, which again is really different for us. You know, the sporting element is something that we don't do. You know, so that's really interesting for our team. Mm -hmm. I mean. And how many, how many full-time staff have you got at We Are The Fair? Yeah, so we've got uh, 28 at the moment. 28? Yeah, but wow. we've, got, we've got different. So, you know, we've got like the health and safety side, the production side, and then we do quite a lot of sort of public realm events for um, uh, developers. So at the moment we're doing some stuff up at Argent. The King's Cross for Christmas. Uh, so you just you say production. Can you just break down what you mean by you do production? Generally, how I describe it is we do everything apart from deliver the talent and the audience in the most simplistic terms. Okay. So, you know, we deliver the site uh, and then run... The look, the feel, the fencing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll deliver. And, you know, it's almost like project managers, isn't it? Mm. You know, so you're sort of responsible for all aspects of that. And then we don't, as I say, deliver the talent or, or get involved in any marketing, any of the sort of audience. And then we'll run the show. So, mm. you know, we'll do the live elements. And, and then you're just charged the promoter a fee for doing that? Yeah, generally, yeah. That's how we work. And depending on how many services they use. I mean, more and more nowadays we do the production and the health and safety because, you know, it's run in parallel. And if you break down the health and safety in Ron Seal terms, what, who are you dealing with with the garden health and safety? Uh, so, yeah, the local authority representatives. Okay. So there's like 11, 11, 11 authorities that you would generally... And who would they be? So people like the police, you know, LAS, which is the London Ambulance Service, or obviously the local ambulances out mm. of London, uh, things like EHO, environmental health. And, so, it, and break down EHO, what does that so mean? Environmental, environmental health, health officer. Officers, and yeah. what, are they, what are they in charge of? So they'll of? look after things like food hygiene, uh, noise, compliance. Um, What's so the noise of any neighbours are moaning that the, the volume's yeah. too high? Yeah, yeah, which obviously there's there's a fair bit of that <laughs> yeah. um you know which we understand so we have a whole team that do stakeholder engagement so all year round they're engaging with local residents telling them what we're doing these are the plans yeah. you know this is what we're going to do in this instance mm. um so do you find out that by doing that by having an open book is it's a lot easier to be straight with the neighbors and tell them exactly what's going on rather than putting on a show and then the neighbors just Oh, yeah absolutely weekend. i mean yeah. people are absolutely you know are mental if they think yeah. you know just put it on we'll get away with it year one of course you'll get away yeah. with it but then year two when yeah. you go for that license and you're at that hearing yeah. and yeah. they're you know bringing up graphs of yeah. the fact their windows are just shattered and rattled yeah. from all the base you know you're <laughs> gonna get that grease so yeah you gotta and to be fair you know they get it more than ever I mean they are more mobilised than on the ball residents mm. they've ever been like if you put a licence application in they are cutting and pasting every single yeah. you know to all of their committees and so you do need to work with them yeah. you know they are really important and it does affect them you know if you've got 20,000 people coming past their front door yeah. that is going to have an impact you know you can't pretend sit there naively going oh no they're going to tiptoe across yeah. even though they've had nine pints each yeah you know, they're, they're obviously going to be And also banging, banging drum and bass till <laughs> yeah. two in the morning as well. The kids yeah, are keeping up. Yeah, so, <laughs> so you've got to work with them. And we do. You know, we really make an effort in that front. Mm. Um, have you, how have you seen the festival world change since you have got involved in it? From the big, it's all about the headline bands and the headline DJ at a big festival. So it's something like Hyde Park. Well, I've been there. And personally, the experience for me is, is, is kind of a three out of ten compared mm. to going to a wilderness or going to a bespoke cool festival somewhere tell me your experience on 
how it's changed? Yeah, I mean, for us, um, yeah, I mean, I'm passionate about the independent sector. Yeah. So, you know, like the BST, British on the time stuff, you know, that is big, you know, American promoters generally. Y- you know, and I get it, you know, they're under huge financial pressures, as we all are, and I'm not, you know, denying the independents aren't as well. So sometimes the customer experience, you know, they're doing massive pouring right deals, yeah. you know, with, say, a Carlsberg. You know, whereas the shows we work on, there's a load of effort that goes into the look and feel, like you said. Mm. But even provenance like traders, you know, where are they from? Are they local? Mm. You know, another show we do is Gala down in Peckham. And that, you know, the promoter there spends a load of time, you know, even the brewery's local, yeah. you know, so, and 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 customers do really care about that. Yeah. You know, I don't want to go to a show and drink Tuborg, yeah. nothing against Carlsberg. Yeah. But, you know, for me, I, you know, I have, as do all punters, a much more, you know, interested taste, mm. you know, like ales and stuff like that, you know, and food. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like when I started, you know, we had Tony Burgers banging out <laughs> 99, you know what I mean? Yeah. As many yeah. as he could fly out. Yeah. And it was whatever beer, you know, we could get cheap yeah, yeah. it wasn't and that was you know and that's the other thing that's changed is professionalism in the industry do you mm-hmm. know what i mean people now you can't be a cowboy and just blag it yeah. uh, those days are long gone yeah you know um so that that has evolved massively you know like like i talk about this the whole you know we work on a show year round generally mm. so you know we're working on shows now for next year so i think that has changed and that's a good thing so so yeah, and I think people really care for those beauty. And like you say, the, it isn't all about headline talent. Mm. You know, people go off and find like wilderness. You know, there's little workshops. Mm. People are not even see the main stage for the mm. whole weekend. Mm. You know, they're going off having little parties in the woods, or they've um, they're the parties I like. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's get what lost in the woods about. for a couple of hours. Yeah, that's what people love, though, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? It's like a, and you feel like it's a special experience. Yeah. You know, if in true, if you're stood, you know, main stage with fifty thousand other people, mm. is it? I mean, and, the, the, you know, you've got to be real, like even with relay or delay screens, um, you know, you're so far back, unless you're right at the front, mm. I mean, you're better off watching it on TV. Mm. So I think those little other experiences are what people, you know, love mm. uh, and seek more of. Mm. I think going back to your point there, I think catering and food is vital at festivals. Yeah. If you're there for three days, you don't want to be eating a, a dirty sausage and a burger no. and whatever, a greasy burger. You want to have, we, we take huge pride at Bournemouth Sevens on, bringing in boutique caterers you know because it's about the experience you want a lovely uh, array of foods that people can yeah. choose from yeah and you've got to remember in people's normal like you know normal lives now that's improved street foods changed massively yep. isn't it like cities you've got you know these huge and they spent hours on like that curation and getting the right food so they want to see that if they go to a show you know they don't want to see a lesser experience mm. you know when they're paying a premium to get mm. into that show mm. so I think that's changed. Mm. And what are your thoughts about like the big London parks whereby a festival promoter will pay the, the council X amount lump sum, but the local residents aren't happy that the, the, uh, the big event's going on in there. What are the knock-on effects of the council taking that money? What are the positives? Uh, I mean, I think there's there's an often myth, you know, and what which is very hard for councils to stand up and say, well, by the way, this show's just paid us £200,000 in rent. Um, but the point is it genuinely it does uh, support those parks you know we've had like a new playground in Streatham you know Mm. built off the back of the revenue fees Mm. you know that wouldn't have happened ordinarily you know Mm. councils we all know are under huge financial pressure Finsbury Park you know through the work that uh, like Melvin does you know he pays an awful lot in rent there Finsbury Park was a no-go zone you know Mm maybe 10, 15 years ago, whereas now the past why, transport... Why was, it, why was it a no-go? Well, it was just like there's loads of criminal, you know, criminal activity associated mm. to it. It's really run down. Mm. Um, you know, like all the street furniture, like the benches in there were knackered. Mm. Um, and now, you know, it's transformed, you know, and having that hive activity. So I think, you know, and sometimes, I mean, on the really simplistic level, like park rangers, do you know what I mean? That money can help support those park rangers and yeah. keep... But you do get residents understandably upset, you know, it's big parks. If you're going to put up steel shield and on bigger shows, you know, we may be there for three weeks. Mm. Um, it does have an impact. Mm. But with all of these things, you know, there, there's a balance, isn't there? Mm. So, and without it, you, you do start to think, you know, well, what's going to happen to that park? Because, mm. you know, there's obviously upkeep costs. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to see councils being able to readily promote it more than they probably do. Mm. But I understand the position they're in. You know, they can't be seen as biased and then start, you know, because that will upset residents more mm. if they feel, you know, 
Yeah, I agree. Moving, moving on to sponsorship, obviously it plays a big part in most festivals. How have you seen sponsorship change back in the day to where we are now with obviously social media and it's all about the data? I mean, I think the big thing for me is sponsors used to pay big money to shows because they didn't have access to audience. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, like, well, all of them, to be fair, back then, you know, they loved it, A, by just kudos being associated with a show, but also, you know, it was a really simplistic marketing tool because effectively they got access to, you know, 10, 20, however many uh, people went to that show. They got direct access to that audience, whereas now they talk to that audience directly. You know, like whether it be a Red Bull, you know, they talk to their audience on a daily basis through all their socials. So, you know, you've started to see, you know, Red Bull's an example of that, where they start promoting their own shows. Mm. You know, they've gone very niche, very sports focused um, and they can promote straight to, you know, they can sell tickets or not. Mm. Uh, whereas, you know, years ago that wasn't available to these mm you know, these brands. Mm. So, you know, you did hear about some major, and when I was back in clubs, you know, huge sums of money. I mean, in those days it was cigarette brands, but yeah. they were paying, I mean, eye-watering sums yeah. to get access to that audience. Mm. Whereas now, I think that, yeah, we've seen a, a slight sea change. They still support shows and I think always will, uh, but it'll be through other, you know, more sort of interactive elements mm. or product or, yeah, sampling, mm. stuff mm. like that. So when you're employing, you've got 26 staff, which is a, it's a lot of staff and obviously that's a, puts a lot of pressure on in certain times of the year because it's all kind of in that sort of, I'd imagine that April to October period where a majority of your work is. When you're an employee, what do you actually look for in, in an events, whether they've been to university or not been to university, what sort of characteristics are you looking for? I mean, uh, you know, how we sort of run our business is, you know, one of the core elements to our business is about fun, you know what I mean? Like, if, if I'm not enjoying it, I just wouldn't do it. Yeah. And I think passion, do you know what I mean? Like, you can tell from someone if they really care. And I think an element of realism is really important. You know, we do occasionally get those people who think, you know, they're going to be backstage partying mm. for the whole weekend with whoever talent on. Obviously, it couldn't be further from the truth. Mm. So... You know, and, and it is really hard work. I mean, it isn't it isn't an industry that, you know, you can sort of bumble on through without real graft. Mm. So it's, um, and I think, yeah, generally passion. We get, you know, young people, whether, you know, from uni or not from uni, and, you know, they're just really interested. And, you know, in truth, probably hammer us constantly. And then, you, you know, because we get about 100 CVs a week, mm. you know, and sort of filtering them is quite, you know, it's a full-time role, yeah. which we, do, you know, we can't afford to pay for. So it's those that, you know, are persistent and keep saying, look, I really want to come and work on a show. Mm. I'll volunteer on this. I want to do a placement. Um, and I think, like, our success rate from placement to full-time is around about 40%. Mm. So, you know, they're going on to full-time role, mm. uh, and yeah, end up, you know, being a sort of a, often like a, a production assistant, you know, so they'll be helping the producer on that show, sourcing stuff. And, you know, there's a natural, mm. a fairly succinct career path if mm. you're really into it. Mm. I see your point there. I think that what's interesting is that anyone who's done a placement, I feel it adds more value than someone coming straight as a fresh off the boat out of university. Yeah, it's, for me, there's all, you know, and I, I'm not here just to do a disservice to unis, but I, I think there's almost uh, overconfidence can be given to some students. You know, I've seen them, they've come off, you know, I've been to this particular university, you know, they specialise in crowd safety or something. And, you know, it's so far yeah. removed from, you know, the actual practical experience on the ground. Mm. I think well, that's why we really, you know, want that sort of placement mm. opportunity. We've just started on the Kickstart program, or about to. So we've got five young people who are currently unemployed. They're going to come into the business as well. Because mm. I think, you know, you, we need to be hammering that as well. You mm. know, we need to also, you know, be much more diverse. And that's a big thing for us is, is giving people opportunities, you know, mm. who perhaps it is really hard to get into the industry, isn't it? Mm. I mean, uh, even to get placements is really competitive. Mm. Mm. So... For me, it is, it's just getting on to working in the business because then, you know, it is like an interview, isn't it? If you're on a six-month placement, it's perfect for us, yeah. perfect for them. It's like, do we all get on? Yeah. You know, you're going to have banter on site, yeah. you know, because you get a load of grief as well on yeah. site. You and know. attention to detail. Yeah, I mean, that is, yeah, that is something. Uh, it is, it, the level of detail is probably mm. more than ever told through uni. Yeah. Um, you know, and I suppose understanding that duty of care, you know what I mean? You are responsible. Yeah. You know, there's not many people that, you know, are responsible for 20,000 people. Yeah. You know, effectively, anything happens to those individuals, you know, when it goes through the sort of hierarchy of command, you know, ultimately it comes to you, yeah. you know? So it is your problem. And you're building, 
you know, <laughs> mini little villages and towns. Um, I mean, someone used to tell me, like at Global, it was the equivalent of everybody in Stratford upon Avon going out on a mad one on a Saturday night. Mm. So you know, like water and all of that power. You know, there's nothing. We turn up with one water stand pipe if mm. we're lucky on a site. Mm. So uh, yeah, I think attention to detail is essential. Mm. You know, we're doing a. We've been working hard now on an events course that we're launching in January, and the idea is is that this events course is going to fast track. A student or a non-student that they can learn this course in three months what are your thoughts about us doing the course yeah i mean i think anything that can support people and get them into the industry you know with some real practical knowledge is is essential because i i don't think that currently exists in the wider you know in the wider uk or, or internationally i think you know we do need more of that and giving people pointers and you know understanding of what to expect i think is, is really really important mm. you know theory based stuff and for me as well i'm not a great learner you know i was really terrible at like exams but practically same you know i'm i, I you know i'm much more more into that yeah. like events do you know what i mean i didn't learn and i didn't learn anything that i use now apart from maybe pnl forecasting yeah. uh from uni that i now use in my everyday life mm. nothing at all so um for me yeah i i would much prefer sort of practical mm. than um like the learning so the idea theory. the idea of this is that i get the same there's loads of cvs come through they just get put at the bottom of the pile as an employer unless someone really stands out well the idea of this events course is that someone does these events uh, our events course you can do it in three months is that when they finish i can put the cv under the noses of the right people like yourself to say i've just had this fantastic girl or boy on the course Nick, check them out. Can you give them an interview? Would you be more likely to say, yeah, get them in for a chat? Well, I think, yeah. I mean, the big thing's network as well, isn't it? Like if people are doing referrals and saying, you know, would you come and speak to this person? Uh, then obviously, you know, that's a big thing. And I think, yeah, if people have had that sort of practical knowledge and that rubber stamp to say, you know, they've been through something, they've, you know, spent the hours learning some more practical experience. I mean, yeah. that is of interest to me. Yeah. Um, I want people, you know, we don't want people coming fresh out of uni necessarily who have never been to site. Because, yeah. I mean, that is not going to benefit them either. Yeah. I mean, it's a real shock as well. Mm. I've seen it. I've seen, you know, green faces go to site yeah. and, you know, some of them being in tears, just yeah. like, you know, I mean, this is far away from sitting mm. behind a computer. Mm. Whereas if they've done a bit of practical, uh, or understood it more, then that's going to be a benefit, I think, to both parties. Mm. I've never, ever employed anyone in the last five, six years based on a uni course, mm. ever. Same. You know, and I've actually turned down a couple of people who are really adamant, you know, they had a first. Yeah. And for me, if anything, you know, I felt like we were going to be a stepping stone. Yeah. Because you know, that gives you that confidence, doesn't it? It's like, well, if you're first, I'm going to be you know, the next PM or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, what use of... Or no experience, a bit wet behind yeah, the ears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, I'm yeah, we've never gone down that road. Mm. But I'm sure loads of employers have, you know. I'm sure in certain industries. No, and I think it is changing, isn't it? I mean, people understand how expensive uni is. Mm. Um, you know, and is it fair to start, you know, that much in debt? I mean, mm. you know, that's going to be five, ten years to pay that off. Pay it about five, ten, they'll have it around the next, <laughs> for the, for, till the 60. You think, oh, whatever, as I get older. But actually... Now you're thinking, oh, I wish I didn't take that debt on. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. it's like, yeah, um, yeah, it just stays so, there forever. So we're in 2020 now. Where do you see the events industry for 2021? Because I know everyone I know who puts on events and the promoters and festivals, everyone is chomping at the bit to get back in that field. Yeah, and I know like tickets, we've put some shows on sale uh, through promoters and, and they've sold really well. Uh, so I think people are desperate. To get you know to get going again, um, yeah. I mean, I'm maybe more positive than some other people, but for me, yeah, 2021. There's also, you know, I don't want to talk about the old C word, but mm. uh, for me, there's an economic pandemic that's now far greater than what's going on yeah, currently. Agree. You know, and and there's a real misunderstanding, and people don't seem to be getting it, and that is the frustration mm. that I hold on many a call I have at the moment um, with you know some of the people we speak to um, a place like DCMS. So I sit on a work group there, which is looking at you know outdoor guidance for next year. So that's evolving uh, rapidly, which is good, you know, and they're engaged and so are Public Health England. But for, for me, you know, there's almost this pressure has got to happen because the ecosystem that sits around our industry, you know, is worth 
over 10 billion is going to start to implode. I mean, yeah. it already is. I mean, let's not yeah. deny. So for me, I'm being as positive as I can. And and there are some, you know, there are some positive signs. I mean, the, you know, the media, how they've performed through this has been pretty terrible, I think. You know, it's all about scaremongering because mm. that gets more click. Mm. Um, but for me, you know, there are some positives, like the vaccine seems to be, you know, getting us two uh, that are fairly well advanced. They come out of trials. So I think, you know, you will see the older population or the more vulnerable and then it will cascade down potentially and then some normality return and obviously Liverpool at the moment have got this huge mass uh, testing that started on Friday and if that's a success which hopefully it will be uh, you know that will start to see the return and and I'm you know I'm confident that we are I mean as a business yeah um, I mean, I don't think many can take another year of no shows, basically. Yeah, Us included, you know. Yeah. Uh, so we need it to happen and we're doing everything in our power to ensure it does. You know, and there'll be some changes and nuances, you know, we're not, you know, like uh, something we're looking at now, is, you know, just like queuing and, you, you know, but... We can deal with that. We can deal with it. <laughs> you know, we've just got to be realistic, though. Like having, trying to say we're going to have social distancing front of the main stage mm. is ridiculous, yeah. you know, and I sit on calls and people still say... How are you going to do that? I'm like, well, we're not. You know what yeah. I mean? We've got to be under the assumption that, yeah, we will do controls in a sensible way, but some things have to be realistic. Yeah. You know, um, so I thought, you know, for him, for me, it's got to happen. It will happen. You know, we need to support the supply chain. Yeah. You know, they've had no revenue since March. So give an example of the supply chain. Well, whether it be, you know, toilets, power, you know, all of those. I mean, we have three and a half thousand suppliers or their staff on some of our shows, you know, that, that is a big old ecosystem that needs supporting. And nothing's up And are most of them self-employed, do you think? Uh, I think, you know, there's an element, obviously there's a huge self-employment element on shows, but also, you know, loads of them um, uh, are full-time employed by those, you know, suppliers. So, and they need that, you know, and everyone talks about pivoting, but, you know, if you've got toilets yeah. and no one's doing shows mm. and you're, you're, you know, specific to that, and obviously they can go into construction. But that's well serviced. It's really hard, isn't it? I can't. I can't see the government allowing another summer of no festivals and no I events. I can't. And I, <clears> I do <throat> bang on about it. You can have the pandemic, but you know mm. there are. I mean, the hospitality industry is imploding. You know, pe and people are getting fatigued with it. I mean, mm. I know I am. Mm. You know, the amount of times it's just like you can't go out, you can't do this. Mm. Uh, I think, yeah, people are, are sort of over it, mm. <laughs> almost over it. You know, and I think you know. Depending on what happens at Christmas, I think we're going to start to see it. They can't do an announcement, obviously, now, and I appreciate that, given the current landscape. You're not going to see the government say, here's a roadmap date. I think from the 1st of March, shows are going to go ahead. You yeah. know, it's, it's going to put uh, more pressure on delivering shows, you know, because yeah. I think we'll get an announcement maybe late February, early March, mm. and then people will be rushing to produce shows in. Yeah. So we're sort of saying to our promoters, you know, we'll take an element of risk potentially with you, but we've got to start advancing shows now. Otherwise, it's going to be, uh, you know, a bit of a shit show, for yeah. a better word, yeah. uh, which we don't want. Yeah, I don't think it will happen, personally. I think it will, I think shows will be going on, but I think yeah. the, the promoters will get under more pressure, especially the promoters have got to pay for big acts. Yeah. That's the bit where I think, phew. You know, that's the yeah, and I think, you know, but you are seeing agents now who are, you know, they get it and there are COVID clauses going in. Um, so, you know, there's pressure on them as well. I mean, it's very easy and I've done it many a time, sure, you know, to have a pop at agents. But again, you know, they've got like you know, tour managers on the road, mm. you know, uh, there's a whole sort of ecosystem that sits with them. But that's changing as well. That's changing as well with Live Nation making the announcement they're going to pay, yeah. uh, you know, the the act ten percent up front and ninety percent after the festival. Yeah, I mean that that is changing, and you know, I mean I've had so many debates about you know agents and fees and artists, and maybe there is time to you know have a slight retraction on mm. on that. You know, it's like riders, just mm. them alone. You know, the cost painful. Yeah, they've gone exponential. I mean, who the hell came up with a rider? You know, give thirty me, years give ago. Give me an example of a rider for the audience. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, so people understand what a rider is. Well, generally, you get uh, sort of you get two riders. You get that like, hospitality rider for a we, festival, say for a, for a headline DJ. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you get like the hospitality bit, which is everything you can ever dream of, you know. And some agents, you know, it's almost like a joke. Yeah, you know, I remember Mr. Scruff years ago used to ask for a horse-drawn cart as a joke <laughs> to, to take into shows. I mean, obviously, not many people <laughs> delivered it. Uh, yeah, and uh, but everything, you know, drink, food. I mean, we did some shows with uh, Pendulum 
you know, it was a drum and bass live act, you know, and they had to fly their chef everywhere and you had to pay for that. You had to pay, I mean, it was just... It's crazy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and I did a show of Public Enemy and their rider was as much as their fee, when I, you know, it was like wow. 20,000 US. Wow. Uh, and then you have like the tech rider, so like lighting plots, you know, how they want their lighting, you know, and we've done shows there and, yeah, their tech ride has been enormous. Mm. Um, so, for example, someone would be 100 grand to play, but their rider might be 25 grand. At least, yeah, I've Plus. seen riders, you know, yeah, one one artist, their, their rider, we we sort of tossed it out, it was like 90 odd grand, Bloody you know, hell. to deliver his show. Bloody so, um, yeah, it's, it's incredible. So that, I mean, a retraction on that wouldn't be a bad thing, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, an artist, and, the, and there is a lot of, like I said earlier, you know, people aren't as obsessed on a big show about that main headline. Mm. You know, he's moving away to, you know, more sort of specific genres. Yeah. Um, it's an experience it's all about the experience yeah it is yeah mm. yeah and I think you know, I said you know that I think it's lesser on that main stage yeah. you know some t some people have the best time ever just in the campsite yeah. I know some people have never left the campsite yeah. for three days <laughs> you know they're just like meeting new mates yeah. having a laugh but that's the beauty of festivals you just meet new people yeah and that is that is the thing that I really enjoy yeah and I think you know people embrace it they're in that right environment you know what I mean every day everyone's too stressed they've got other stuff going on at home yeah. whereas there you know what i mean you are there in your most relaxed state mm -hmm. aren't you so you are more open and receptive to i wonder if the uh, the bubble has burst a little bit with the big x in terms of it's I, i'm kind of seeing it with professional rugby players and professional footballers there's only so much you can keep demanding and demanding and demanding from the clubs from the football clubs or the rugby clubs and from the actual promoters actually i think the it might have just burst a little bit to actually bring it down to a bit of reality the, the salaries and the the fees etc yeah i think yeah, I think that is true. You know, the pressure of these two folders, isn't it? Like years ago, it was maybe more balanced because they had album sales. You yeah. know, that was huge. Um, now they earn nothing from that side of yeah, things. I yeah, I mean, they're getting, I've read the other day, like 0.003p on yeah. the stream from Spotify. Yeah. Um, so for them, then there was a massive sea change. You know, the swing then went to obviously talent fees mm. and then the agents pushing and pushing. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I knew the promoter, the Robbie Williams show. I mean, the margins on that, you know, every show sold out mm. regardless. This was, you know, years ago. But, you know, he, he was making like 3 4%, you know, and, and obviously delivering the show. What, the promoter? Yeah. What, of 3 4% of the turnover of the yeah, whole yeah, show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus. Uh, you know, so so that, that changed. And I think, you know, those... Um, those sort of fees became pumped and pumped because I guess also pressure from artists and artists management as well yeah, saying, Jesus, yeah. you know, we've got no album sales. What's yeah, going on? Yeah. Um, you know, so let's put it all into live. They were touring more than ever. Yeah. So, and I think you're right. I think people are a bit more, I just think it's really hard, isn't it? And the bigger these arenas are getting, all those bigger the festivals are, the less of that experience. Mm. You know, if you're sat at the back of the pyramid stage, mm. I mean, I've, I've, yeah, I don't really know what you're gaining. No, I'm I saying. mean because you're definitely, re you know, you're definitely watching it off the screen at that point, yeah, aren't you? I agree. Um, and, and I think people are, you know, and the, the music's so accessible now. Yeah, you know, so but it comes down to social media numbers. You know, if you're booking someone as a promoter, you're going, well, what numbers have they got? If they retweet it, or if they send a message out, if they send a video out, the, the power is with the with the live act these days. In terms of them demanding the fees that they want. Yeah. due to social media numbers and what reach the promoter can get to sell tickets. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. I mean, yeah, promoters are obviously piggybacking on their social, you know, to sell tickets. Uh, but then, you know, there needs to be that, you know, I think people are getting better at that, like breaking down, like, the demographic of that audience. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's no point in having three headliners or, you know, headliner support yeah. that all call to the same demographic. Mm. Do you know what I mean? If you're a big show and you've got lots of different mm. genres of music. So, you know, people are now, like, promoters and their marketing teams, breaking it down to make sure they're hitting all of those different genres mm. to support it. Otherwise, there's a lot of duplication. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, agents are going to come under more pressure, you know, and fees, they do need to be realistic. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I talked about that public enemy show, but I remember dealing with the agent on that and they were like, well, what's your capacity? I was like, mm. it's like only 2,000. Mm. They're like, well, we want 88% of the game. Mm. I was just like, what? Mm. You know what I mean? I've got a club to run mm. here. How am I going to, mm. so i got to pay 12% and then now you want a $20,000 rider. Yeah. See ya. Yeah, I was just like, this is <laughs> this is crazy. And that's I can't stand I it when they ask you what your capacity is. Yeah. What's that got to do with you? It's nothing to do with you. <laughs> I mean, gonna, we want to offer you a fee to come and play. Do you want it or not? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Rather than what's your capacity, what's your ticket price, what's this, what's that? And I want a rider. And I'll be really rude to you at the same time. 
Yeah. That's the bit I can't understand. That's the, I'm so glad I'm not in that world of, of booking yeah. tons and tons of acts the whole time. No, and I'm glad we don't get too mm. involved in that. Because that's the biggest stress. My other friends were festivals. Their biggest stress is booking acts because the agents are playing all the festivals off against everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you get, and then you get another festival blocking you because they've got the act two weeks before and they're 200 miles away. Yeah, yeah. Well, now you've got like some of the big ones, you know, you've got six-week blockers each side. So, you know, and then you end up in stupid things like exclusivities and mm. and then the fees obviously just go, you know, grow exponentially. Yeah. yeah, it's not. And then you're the, you know, we're often the recipient of that talent on site and having to deal with, you know, some of those issues, uh, which is a challenge, you know, mm. if you think, God, you know, one people that should be working with us is is the talent side. Yeah. But, they're, you know, in general, they're great. And they, if you deal directly with the talent, they're Much amazing. They're, they're simple. Yeah. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like yeah. It's, it it's gets lost in translation, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? And they'll go, what? I didn't ask for this. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you've got like a whole sort of level yeah. layers of people getting involved, justifying, I guess, mm. salaries and stuff by mm. being more difficult. Do you uh, think one of the nicest things is when you're dealing with an agent and they are super nice? Yeah, I mean, I think that has changed, isn't it? Like years ago, there was it was there's a level of notoriety in being the most aggressive agent out mm. there. I suppose it goes with territory, isn't it? Like the, you know, artists would, you know, you're in this bubble. This, yeah, this bubble that you don't know any different. Yeah. And then you know, by sort of osmosis, everyone's being rude. And mm. then it's like, you know, this is how you have to act, yeah. and that's how to tour or learn mm. and tour managers. Then you think, geez, you know without doing a disservice, but you know, you're turning up and giving me a load of grief. Yeah. You haven't been here. <laughs> what are you on about? Where's this? Where's that? And yeah. you know, that is difficult to deal with. Yeah. You know, my tolerance on that is low. So Same. I try and stay well clear of backstage. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I think, and I, hopefully that will, you know, be addressed. And I, and I do think out of this year, one thing, I think the industry has come together. Yeah. Agreed. You know, like I'm ringing up, competitors you know what i mean texting them saying you know you're right yeah you know i've had, i've never spoken to more competitors than this year yeah and i think hopefully there's going to be that more understanding whether it be the agents you know we've had a year off mm. and we need to you know and i think generally we've just all got to be a bit nicer to each other yeah. and work together yeah. Yeah. you know and people have realized how much they miss it mm. when you're in this bubble of just roll like for us you know we're doing a hundred odd shows a year yeah. you know you Winter just knackered, yeah. you know, and then you're back up and running for the next year, and you're just in this momentum. Mm. You never get any sort it's of. It's only when something's taken away from you, yeah. you realise how lucky yeah, you are. Exactly, yeah. and that's what I've noticed this yeah. year. And I, I'll be honest, like the last few years, I was in this, you know, just felt like it was continuation. There was no sort of getting away from it. Yeah. And you know, every day was a new day, but you were just doing the same. Juggling, old, yeah, juggling, yeah. hustling. Yeah. Whereas this year, you know, I've realised, oh, you know, you really do miss being on site. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I think you know, it's going to be a lot of happy people at festivals, whether yeah. you're a customer, whether you're a promoter, you're working on yeah, a festival. Yeah, suppliers, I think. Yeah. You know, like everyone's just, I think everyone's really appreciate the fact of what it's like. Yeah. And there's a family atmosphere, isn't there, like in the whole industry. Yeah. People want to help. Suppliers have been great. You know, we've been trying to say to them, you know, is there anything we could do to support? Yeah. So I think, yeah, in general, people are being, I think people I will be great. I think there's a lot of positive to take from what we're going through at the moment. I think 21, we're all going to spring back and it's going to, it's going to people are going to be chomping and uh nick it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today likewise yeah, yeah. really great enjoyed it great to see you mate and um i will get you back on the show another time great cool good, good man see you. thank you take care mate <laughs>